Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. And we're on a topic that I said uh, in the original two shows earlier today. Uh, we're a hot topic, hot topic in the news. Uh, the uh, Attorney General has been talking about it. Uh, a lot of people have been talking about it. And a lot of people are saying, like, why are we even discussing this? It's not even important. It's not relevant. You know, we've got an economy that is on the verge of collapse worldwide. We've got uh, food shortages just hanging in the balance. We've got supposedly global warming or climate change. There is a climate change, but uh, it will probably be a cooling. And uh, there will be crop failures. And crop failures we can't afford because we only have, we used to have six to seven years supply of grain in in this country, for this country, and now we're worldwide. We have like a month, uh, two months on the outside supply of grain, and then we start running out of food. And that is, no planet should be in that kind of condition. Grain is the ultimate food storage uh, item uh, since time began. Uh, that's it. Can you can keep it for years and years and years. Potatoes you can't keep. Frozen goods doesn't keep without power. Uh, canned goods, tremendous energy to produce, and they only have a limited life uh, shelf expectancy. And you cannot reproduce canned goods with canned goods, while grain you can. Uh, civilizations have risen and fallen because of the price of grain. But anyway, what we were talking about has nothing to do with any of that because that's not what's got everybody all worked up. Of course, there's an election in the United States, and everybody thinks, well, we'll elect this guy, and we'll get free stuff, and we elect this guy, he's going to make us great, and we elect this person, and well, I don't know what they're going to get you. Uh, but uh, it's going to be a mess, whatever it is, because of the people. Uh, the nations are people-driven. The spirit that dwelleth in the man dwelleth in the man's society. And so what we were talking about is one of the signs of what's really going on, a sign of the times, the zeitgeist, the spirit of the times. And uh, we have some really bizarre things. Evidently, there are men who think they're women, and they want to use the women's restroom. And, and women, I guess, who think they're men, and they want to use the men's restroom. And other people don't want them in there. And... So how do we decide? This is such a quandary. Well, of course, it's very simple. If you have male plumbing, you go to the male plumbing <laughs> restroom. If you have female plumbing, you go to the female plumbing restroom. But really, there's something else going on here, and that's what we were talking about. And we started off talking about emotions, and emotions are what moves us, what shakes us, what... Uh, what causes us to act and something causes those emotions uh and that was chemical things like hormones adrenaline uh all sorts of neuroreceptors and then events that cause those neuroreceptors to secrete the enzymes and hormones that cause the body to react uh thought processes you know, can do the same thing. Cultural uh, habits of how you would react in a particular situation, all these things 
are part of this emotional criteria that causes you to move, to do things a certain way. And then we talked about the idea of what you feel. You know, there are people who feel like their arm is not their arm. They think that it's actually a foreign appendage. They just can't. It bothers them. They look at their hand. They think, like, what is that doing there? And you think, well, that's crazy, right? Well, they have actually gone and amputated their arm because they were absolutely convinced that their arm was not their arm. And why why is that? And how did you get a surgeon to actually cut your arm off and now you're disabled? And we talked about that, that if what you think or feel makes you what you are, then if you feel like you're handicapped, you ought to be able to use the handicapped parking, right? If you feel like an American, you ought to be able to come into this country. You don't need a passport. You just tell them at the border, hey, I feel like I'm an American. And they should let you in, right? If if we're going to do this based on feelings and not based on, you know, actual plumbing, actual reality, actual, you know, physical anatomy, then if you can feel like a woman and get to do everything that, you know, become woman of the year and go into the women's restroom and get uh, special jobs because you're a woman, even though you're a man, but you feel like a woman, then you ought to be able to use handicap parking and come into the country and you know i feel like i belong here (laughs) and you just do it because what you feel is what it is right and then we talked about how psychiatrists who were part of like john hopkins uh mccuse uh which was one of the hospitals that first pioneered the surgery to help people who are males but feel like females become females by surgery. And they don't do that anymore because of the fact that 20, not 20%, excuse me, 20 times the people that would normally commit suicide commit suicide after such operations, within 10 or 15 years of such operations, because it's not addressing the problem. It actually makes it worse. When you cut that arm off of the guy who's absolutely convinced that that arm is not his, even though he's born with it, raised with it, but somehow his brain has told him that that's not his arm. It doesn't feel like his arm, right? And what feels is what's important. So they cut the arm off, but they didn't cut enough. They thought they were cutting enough, but somehow or other, now his elbow is not his. And so now they have to want to go into surgery again and take the elbow off. The reality is is it doesn't have anything to do with that. And we explain why. People who have phantom limbs, uh, they you know, after they actually have their arm cut off and they feel like they're you know, accident or whatever it was and uh maybe a military accident or, or, or wounded, they lost their arm, but they still feel like it's there, but they it's not there. It itches and it it aches and they they try to do something about it, but it's not there, so they can't do But you just show them this mirror set up where it looks like they're looking at their right arm, and it cures them. And, and we have videos uh, at Preparing You. you know, look under mine. Look under... Uh, oh, we've got several different uh, links to different videos on the subject. And what happens is that in your physical body, you map your physical body. If you cut off a part of your body, either emotionally or actually, 
you will map that part of your body somewhere else. And something else, if there are things you don't want to see about yourself, things that you want to suppress in your subconscious, you will actually can map those things into part of your body, like your arm, your hand, and say, well, that's not me. I don't want to see that. I don't want that to be a part of me. It's foreign to me. And you begin to believe that it is. Now, are you crazy? Well, yeah, you can say crazy. You can say that uh, you're psychotic or uh, that you have uh, some sort of uh, psychosis. But if you've been listening to the shows I've been saying right along for uh, weeks and weeks that everybody has a psychosis. Psychosis is simply something that in you, usually involving emotions, blocks your ability to see reality clearly. Now, that that psychosis can become so uh, pronounced that everybody says, oh my gosh, that guy is crazy. But a lot of times it can be very subtle, and you just don't know. He's very functional. He doesn't, you know, he's not, you know, running down the street naked or anything. Uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of the guy in Dream Team, uh, Keaton, you know, where he gets arrested by the cops and he eventually says, uh, you know, I'm not crazy. You know, well, I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't talk to my dog. I didn't see Elvis or anything. And, uh, or something like that. Anyway, he says that, uh, but I did put on a dress and run around Times Square. Uh, but the point was, is that, it is a little crazy to like to dress up in women's clothes when you're a man. Why, why do you want to do that? Now, we can just point our finger and say, oh, you're crazy, you're nuts and everything, but that really doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't solve their problem. It doesn't solve their problem to have part of their body cut off and other parts you know, sewed up and altered surgically. And statistics proves that beyond a shadow of a doubt humoring the person doesn't solve the problem doesn't it doesn't help them uh as a matter of fact it leads more often than not more often than it should certainly 20 times more often <laughs> than it should to suicide so you're not helping them by catering to them you're not helping them by belittling them and mocking them they say they can't help it. This is the way they are. They are absolutely right. They cannot help it. They are given over to this way of thinking. And they cannot change. But why are they given over? And that's what we started talking about in the last show. And it tells you in Romans chapter 1 in the Bible. Although most people who read it don't understand it. And that's why we're talking about it. So that by the end of the show, you might begin to understand it. Romans, first chapter, verse 26, 27. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Now, sexuality is part of nature. It's part of reproduction. I was just out rounding up cows on foot in the desert, telling them that, oh, you guys all have to go north. (laughs) 
And they were finally convinced of walking along, and they went north. And then I told them, I want you to go through that gate. And they all went through that gate. But a couple of them were clowning around. They We had some animals in there mounting each other, heifers mounting cows and cows mounting heifers. And people say, see, homosexuality is natural. What they're doing is they're about to go through a gate and they're being moved about by some crazy cowboy on foot walking in the desert. And uh, they they want to find out where do I stand in the herd. So they're determining pecking order. This is why they're mounting. It's about domination. Dominating this one over that one. I'm in charge. You're not. No, I'm in charge. And they, until they finally agree who's in charge and what the pecking order is. And then, guess what? They will actually physically come into heat according to what they determine as their pecking order for walking through that gate. Who gets to go first? Well, also, just without anybody, you know, getting shots or like that, they will come into heat in the same order that they go through the gate. Isn't that amazing? That's natural. It's So they're not doing this because they're gay. They're doing this because they're determining the pecking order within the herd. A herd is actually a living entity, a creature of itself. It's full of individual creatures, but it actually functions as a body. A herd of cows is a body politic. So anyway, just give you that picture. So what it's saying here is that people are perverting the natural use. They're not using it for the reason. Like the cows are actually determining pecking order, going through the gate and coming into heat. And they're doing it by strength, and and who is who should have the calf first is the strongest, and uh, so therefore they're they're arm wrestling for who gets to be with the bull first. <laughs> that's what they're doing, uh, and that's part of the process, the natural process of a herd of cows. Uh, there's similar processes with a herd of sheep. Most people don't know this. They live in the cities. Uh, they don't grow up in this. There are a lot of cattlemen who don't understand that. Anyway, it says, and likewise, also men leaving the natural use of the woman burn in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And we'll we'll talk about that elsewhere just to keep moving along here so we get through this whole thing. Verse 28 goes on to say, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Now, what what does it mean to retain God in their knowledge? Have a th- theology that you memorize, you know, like a Baltimore catechism? No, to, to know God is to have a communion with God. Uh, he is actually writing upon your heart and your mind. He's guiding you. You're walking with him. That's what the knowledge of God is. It's not about studying. If it was about studying, then we should all eat of the tree of knowledge. But this is knowing. Knowing God. Knowing his character. Having his character written in your heart. What is his character? His character is a character that creates and is fruitful. Gives life. 
what what's sexuality all about? It's about giving life. It's about creating life. That you're made in the image of God, and you can create life. You have to do it, man and woman. That's how you create life. Or you could you could have cattle, and you could raise those cattle up. People complain about you know farmers, you know certain peta approach to uh, oh no we're just enslaving it. No, it's a to be a herdsman is to have a symbiotic relation with the animal. You're a part of the herd. You're a, you're a part of the process of the herd living and surviving. Uh, I, I'm not enslaving the cows as much as the cows are enslaving me. I'm out there irrigating pastures, cutting hay so they don't starve in the winter and pro- providing for them. They're over there chewing their cuds and deciding who's going to be with the bull first. And they they walked up where I told them because of the fact I wasn't beating them. They went up where I was telling them to go because I'm a part of their herd. And they're a part of my family. They're domesticated animals. And we we could go on about that. But let's get through this. It says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to reprobate mind, to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, we talk about that all the time, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Supposedly this is evil to say, no, we want all their daughters to be able to go to the restroom and not be bothered by men who think they're women, which is just a tiny little percentage of the, the population. That Those men need to work out their issues and use the men's restroom. This is some sort of terrible, mean, cruel thing. Traumatize some 12-year-old girl having a guy come in there. That's okay. <laughs> but to, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's not even worth discussing. And that's not what we're discussing. That That's part of the psychosis of a modern society. What we're discussing is why do they have... And, and, and like I said, many of these psychoses where you think, you know, I think I'm this, I think I'm that. You know, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer thought he was a cannibal, thought he was supposed to eat people, thought that was a good thing to do. Uh, John Wayne Gacy uh, thought it was good to kill child after child after child and bury 23 of them under his house and dump others in the rivers. And he, he thought that was okay. And everybody liked him. He was a great guy. And and people who molest children. And well, why do they do this? Well, often it's because of some trauma that's happened to them. And they were given over to a reprobate mind. Everybody doesn't do things that extreme, but we all do some things. And this is where where we need to understand and see our own psychosis. 
obviously you guys probably, you know, most of the people that are listening to it don't think that it's, it would be good to go and kill young children and eat them. You probably aren't tempted to do that. That's not your psychosis. Your psychosis isn't that bad. You you probably have some psychosis, but it's not that one. But what psychosis do you have? Because if you have any, it can lead to worse and worse situations, depending upon the stimulus of your society. You, uh, you The shelter was a, a program we've talked about before. It was an old program back in the 50s or 60s. And they had uh, somebody had a bomb shelter in there, and they thought there was going to be a nuclear bomb, and the neighbors were pounding in the door trying to bust their way in and because they had to survive. Because things changed, people that were just fine and laughing and joking and having a great time together and great neighbors and great friends, and then under the change of circumstances, they were trying to kill you and smash in your door and take away your life to save themselves because something external things changed. And then you kind of realize that my friends are not necessarily my friends. We're going to see a lot of that probably in our lifetime because things are going to change. Things are going to get more difficult. And what the, what you're seeing is the the psychosis you know the 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 tip of the iceberg comes up and rolls over and you see the destruction what you want to be is devoid of that psychosis devoid of that inability to see reality because if you don't see reality in one particular area of thinking you won't see anything beyond that this is this is what happens is that you if you don't want to see the truth about yourself, you develop psychosis so that you, you don't see the truth about yourself. But behind that, you also will not see the truth about your environment or your conditions or your society or what's coming around the corner. Every one of you should see the future. But if you don't see the truth about yourself, you will not see the future. And that's when you go read Revelations and try to figure out what's going to happen and go to soothsayers and prophets and everything. Tell us what's going to happen because we can't see. You can't see because you didn't want to see the truth about yourself. Now, sometimes there's good reason to be afraid to see the truth about yourself because it's very painful. If somebody has traumatized you or, or maybe you traumatized somebody else and now you regret it and that's traumatized you. The more you explore yourself, the more you see your failings in yourself, the more you can see the world around you clearly. The less you want to see the truth about yourself, the less you will see the world around you clearly. So you will not know what the solution is in this situation or that situation. You will not know how to make decisions. You will try to, but you will not have all the facts. You will not see clearly. Because you didn't want to see yourself clearly. Again, take it back to what we talked about in previous programs, body mapping. guy cuts his arm off in an accident. And so his body remaps, his brain remaps a picture of his arm on his cheek and head. 
so that when he's blindfolded and you take out a little feather and you tickle that little spot of the cheek, he feels like you're tickling the finger of the arm that's cut off. And then you move it along and then you see he feels like you're tickling the other finger. But you're actually tickling, tickling his cheek with a little feather. He has mapped the existence of his hand somewhere. He had to, it's gone. He doesn't feel it anymore. So he maps it on a part of his flesh, sometimes on the stomach, sometimes the back of the head, sometimes part of the face. But he will map that and you, he will feel the twinges and the, uh, the tickles in his hand if you tickle. Now, if he sees you tickling his face, he, he won't feel it. You have to cut off the eyes. So the only thing he goes by is sensation. You can find where he's body mapped that missing arm. We do this psychologically. When you say, I don't, I don't want to look at this part of my life. It may be something you've done. It may be something that somebody's done to you. It could be a combination of the two. You don't want to see it. Maybe it was something that was done by or to one of your family members. Maybe you saw somebody die. Or maybe you saw somebody injured. And it traumatized you. And you don't want to see it. It's not necessarily a guilt thing. Although often guilt is another one of those things that can charge the emotions of the situation. And so therefore it often can be. That's a powerful influence. So anyway, what you what you really want to do is see yourself as you really are. And then you will be set free. The truth shall set you free. Now you know why they say that. When the, when you begin to see the truth, it can actually set you free from these things that you're chained to that are blurring your vision, blurring your perception, affecting your judgment. I mean, you're going to go out and decide who you're going to marry with this kind of burden and trauma dragging along behind you. Now look again at that list of the thing that they don't want to retain the knowledge of God, the understanding of who God is, which is not an intellectual thing. It's actually having the characteristic of God. You want to give life. You want to forgive. You want to uh, uh, benefit others. You want to share with others. This is These are characteristics of God. But you don't want to hold that knowledge. Instead, what you're going to end up with is something contrary to that. And you'll end up doing things that are not very good for you, that are inconvenient. Being filled with unrighteousness. You're not going to be righteous because you don't see those weightier matters of righteousness because you don't see the whole truth. You're going to you're going to end up wanting to satisfy your own lust, fornication, wickedness, covetousness. You, you want other people's stuff because you want stuff for you. You want free stuff. You want... You want uh, benefits. And you, don't, you say, well, it's just coming from the government. No, it's coming from your neighbor. You want it. Maliciousness. You don't care. You'll get angry. Oh, you hate that Trump. You hate anybody who doesn't want to elect the guy who's going to give you all the free stuff. You'll be full of envy. Oh, the rich guy, he, he shouldn't have all that. You should have some of that. And you don't mind murdering somebody to get it. Now, you may not want to do the killing yourself, but you don't mind to have a military do the killing for you. You want to debate and argue, deceit, malignity, remember, whispers, backbiters, uh, 
haters of God. So the, all these things start showing up, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedience, you know, false accusers, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, don't keep agreements, can't trust them, without natural affections, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now, in the next half of the show, we're going to talk about why. Why do you get to this point where you will riot and burn down your own community, where you will betray your friends, where you can't come together in, 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 with the simple motivation of caring about one another without backbiting and arguing and debating? Why, why can't you do that? Because the beginning of Romans 26 said, for this cause what cause well that's what we're going to talk about what causes this to come about because it doesn't do any good to point out the problem if we don't know what's causing the problem to deal with the actual problem itself the source of the problem that's where the cure is it's not just in identifying the problem so anyway we'll talk about that when we return to keys to the kingdom after this brief break Okay, well, thank you for joining us, and we're back live with Brother Gregory. Okay, so we were talking about uh, what is the cause that causes an entire society to move in a particular way. These are what, you know, homosexuality, the cessation of marriage, uh, the breakdown of the family, these are all symptoms of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. They're listed off by historians like Edward Gibbons, we could see them in other societies. Uh, there were, there's a lot of symptoms, you know, like taking the silver out of the coin. This is this is a sure way that uh, you know that the economy of society is going to collapse. Uh, some societies actually did this early on and, and lasted for a while, but eventually even they collapsed. They, the only way they maintained any kind of order was to uh, to create other. Uh, situations which ended up uh, oppressing the majority of the people in that country, you know, like the Spartans. You know, we look at the Spartans and and we're taught like they're big heroes and everything, and they were amazing fighters and uh, military disciplined uh, group of people. But most of the people who lived in the country of Sparta were not Spartans. They were the people who did the farming and and worked and and made things uh, pottery and and uh, orchards and sheep and cattle and you know they're the ones who made society actually function and they were totally suppressed and oppressed by the Spartans and they were just uh, always under fear of their life and limb, because if they crossed a Spartan, the Spartan could just kill them outright. 
and that was the end of it. So, I mean, there was no talk of freedom for them. So it wasn't a great society. It was an oppressive society. And it, they didn't believe that gold should be in the hands of the people or silver. Their money was made out of lead. And why? Because they were power-centralized society. Spartans had all the power. And the people had a way of, you know, that they could come and go. They had their wealth in their own pocket. Then that would undermine the power of the Spartans over them. And they would not be as easily suppressed. And there's a lot of other things that goes on. You know, they they couldn't have weapons. They did teach them how to use weapons when they were uh, grossly outnumbered and they were going to need their help. And they enlisted them in the military. And they were finally successful with the help of all these people that they uh, normally oppressed. And so they invited them all up to uh, receive their reward and gave them white garments and everything and then killed them all because they couldn't afford to have these trained, military, uh, competent people uh, existing in their society. They would they would rise up and throw the oppression of the Spartans off, and they couldn't have that. I mean, most of wars that are created in the world today are created for the purpose of killing off brave young men. Whether you're talking the Soviet Union or America or whatever... These wars, sure, there's other alternatives. You know, maybe we can make some money. We can invade Indonesia or, or, or like Indonesia invade East Timor and take it over. One of the few countries that was operating in the in the uh, black uh, actually had all kinds of natural resources and wasn't overspending. And Indonesia was given arms by the United States that were offloaded from our ships onto Indonesian ships who immediately went to East Timor, invaded the country, murdered thousands and thousands of people, including foreign reporters, complete news blackout in America. Uh, Europeans knew about it and uh, started a Federal Reserve System, and now uh, it's now a peaceful republic. It was a republic before But now it's a peaceful republic where the natural resources are making men very, very rich. And large sections of the population are still kept poor, although they've gone back to peace and they are industrial people, industrious people. But the point was is that money powers came in. It wasn't the fact that you can't say all rich people because then that gets into the envy and boastful. It's just that people were able to put together the power and the structure to conquer that nation, subdue it, and confiscate its wealth for their personal gain. And they know how to do that, and that's what they did. And there are other countries that are following suit in that. And anybody who is independent, they don't like, they want to destroy. What spirit is making this happen? Well, There's a lot to it, but basically it's a selfish, covetous spirit. People are interested in what benefits them. How does it benefit them to worry about people in East Timor? It's not important. It would be tending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. But, you know, how does it help me out? Well, it doesn't. So let's ignore them. I don't even want to know about I'm not even sure where East Timor is. Right? So who cares? Well, as you don't care about your neighbor, eventually somebody will not care about you. That's the way it goes, the red button effect. Anyway, 
Paul starts his letter to the Romans. Now, the Romans were Christian Romans. They, many of them were not Jewish Romans. Some of them were from Great Britain. Uh, but they were following this way of Christ, which is really a very unique thing. Christians would not partake of the welfare system of Rome. They wouldn't partake of the welfare system of the Pharisees because those were supported by men who called themselves benefactors but exercised authority. In other words, forced the contributions. Christians wouldn't do that because that would be covetous. That would be praying to the benefactors who exercise authority and signing up for their system was considered fornication, idolatry. Now, that's a fact, and we explain that in great detail elsewhere. But Paul's writing Romans who've decided to become Christians, and they take care of the needs. They have a welfare system, but it's based on faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. They had to awaken from a psychosis that makes you think that it's okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. That's a psychosis. Only crazy people think that that's okay. But that insanity is commonly accepted today. And people think they're Christians, but they ask rulers to force their neighbors to contribute to their welfare. They ask their rulers to borrow against the future of their children and their grandchildren so that they can have social welfare today, so they can have social security today. They they don't want to wait, work, and then earn it. They want, and they say, well, I paid in, but they know what you paid in is gone. But they don't care. They want to receive the benefit now. And they think that that will be a good thing for them. It's actually going to bring about destruction. But they don't see that because they have this psychosis. They have this mental block. They don't want to admit they have abandoned Christ already. They want to think they believe in Christ, but he's going to tell them, no, you're you're workers of iniquity. You're the wicked. I don't even know you. You don't even know me because you think it's okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, to provide for your security. And and you got lots of preachers who will tickle yours and say, yeah, that's good, that's okay. But it's not. You only have a few that will tell you that's not okay. That That, that is the road to destruction. So anyway, Paul writes, He's writing the Romans who know this distinction and know this difference. And he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, that's what Christ means, Messiah, the anointed, the king. There is another king, one Jesus. So he's a servant of Jesus the king, called to be an apostle, an ambassador, that's the same word, apostle, ambassador, separated unto the gospel of God, the gospel of what? The good news of God, that you have the right to be ruled by God if you repent of your covetous ways and seek the kingdom. In other words, come together, not forsaking the coming together, but coming together in pure religion. Pure religion is taking care of the needy of your society by faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty. So this is what Paul is talking. They all know what he's saying when he talks about this stuff, the gospel. All of, most Christians don't know. 
They think that the gospel is what you think about Jesus, that he was God or that he was, you know, part of the Trinity and that he died for our sins. Well, he died for somebody's sins, but I don't know if he died for your sins because I don't know if you've repented. I don't know if you've forgiven. See, you, if you want the benefit, you haven't forgiven them for spending all the money. They've spent all your money. Forgive them. Find another provision for yourself. You don't want to forgive them? You said, no, I want that money anyway. Because I paid in, I want it anyway. Well, then you haven't forgiven. And so God can't forgive you, and so God won't be there for you. Because you won't forgive others for having spent all your Social Security money until the system is bankrupt. And it can only provide benefits by borrowing against the future of your children and grandchildren and your neighbor's children and grandchildren. So anyway, that's the picture. He goes on to say, concerning the son of his son, talking about God, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Master, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, the house of David, which was the king line of Israel, according to the flesh, and declared to be son of God, with power according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace, grace is this forgiveness, and apostleship, ambassadorship, for this kingdom of God at hand, which is the gospel of the kingdom, which is a government that operates by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. This is what they were doing. For obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. You're called to follow this way. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he's talking about Romans who are going to follow this way. He says, First, I I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, and your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world, how these Romans were actually following this way and, and giving up the Corbin of Rome. They weren't going to take from the benefactors who exercised authority. They're not going to be that way. They're going to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. That is the gospel. That is what sets you free. And, but you, you're not going to be free if you don't admit that to force your neighbor is covetousness and a violation of the commandments. And you don't really love Jesus if you covet your neighbor's goods. So he says, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you and all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now that, that word world, what word is that? Because there's five different Greek words that are all translated into the single English word world. And I can read it right to you, the definition of that word. An apt and harmonious arrangement or constitution, order, or government. It's not through the whole planet. It's through all of the Roman constitutional order and government. They know of you. So he goes on in verse 9 
For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I may mention of you always in my prayers, making requests, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now, Paul went around with people like Barnabas because there was, there was a, a dearth in the land. That means an economic problem. And they were people were going to need assistance. And they took up a collection and they carried that funds. It wasn't just a token thing. That was it. They weren't going to get assistance from Rome. The people who were a part of the religion of Rome registered with Rome, who uh, prayed to Rome, to the fathers of Rome for their benefits, they could get them from Rome. But Christians weren't doing that. Christians were praying to God the Father in heaven and calling no man on earth Father. And so they were providing their welfare through faith, open charity. This this changes their whole psychological and emotional makeup. It changes the flow of energy through them, both as individuals and as a community. Now he goes on to say that uh, he, he longs to see them. Uh, that is, I may be comforted together with you. But he says... Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I proposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. He knows he's talking to Gentiles, other nations. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ, of this Messiah, of this other king who doesn't operate by force. Like John the Baptist, he says, no, do it by charity. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. We trust that you will be there for us. We hope you will be there for us. And we will sacrifice to be there for you now. We have no guarantees, no entitlement programs. We have people who are willing to take a chance on the righteous ways of Christ. For the wrath wrath of God is revealed from heaven again all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God hath showed it unto them for the invisible things of him 
from the creation of the world, what world? The creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, that they became fools. There's talk about making America great. What made America great? The fact is there was a large number of people not no, when I, you you think about this when I mention who these are, that knew God in America. Not isn't everybody who goes to church or has religion. I'm talking about people who have the character of God, givers of life. They get married, they have children, they take care of their children, they take time out to take care of their neighbor. You know, I mean, the stories are rampant. How did we do it with before Social Security and welfare and food stamps? Why wasn't everybody starving? We tried that in the very beginning. Jamestown, Plymouth, it didn't work. People starved every year. When we stopped doing that, we said to each according to what he produces, private property, he owns it. If anybody's going to share it, he gets to decide. He is the ruler of his welfare. What welfare he gives, what welfare he keeps. If he's selfish, people will remember that. If he is unselfish, people will remember that. And they have the hope that the, everybody will be there for each other. And they actually worked at this. And that's what made America great. Because that was very, very prominent in our society. It's hard to even find anymore. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. In other words, when they they didn't give God the credit for what made them great. The character of God was what made them great. But they think they made themselves great. So the speeches where they say, we're going to make America great again, the greatest country in the world. Do you know what made you great? Was it your vanity? Go back to that list. What was some of the things that was not good? Boasters. America was the greatest country in the world, but not for the reason you think. Under the Constitution, it was God in the hearts of many people all across this land because they cared about one another. One of the most charitable nations in the world. But we are so full of ourselves. Vanity rules in our hearts and our minds. We need to go back to humility. And we will be brought down to a humble state. Unfortunately, millions will have to die during this process. Millions more will suffer. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. We have become fools. We have parted from the ways of Christ, the ways of God the ways of righteousness. And we have become covetous people and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and to creepy things. But actually, Christ said, we've created a hundred, you know, 
paintings and chalk drawings and evangelists who say Jesus is this and Jesus is that, but they don't follow in his ways. They don't do what Christ said to do. They all have benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. They don't create a daily ministration entirely functioning by faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty. They're doomed until they repent and go back to the way. And the sooner you go back, the more you go back, take those steps. I mean, right now we're in good times. Are you going to learn everything in hard times? You need to come together now. You need to join the network. You need to join a congregation. You need to start contributing. You need to start forgiving. You need to start helping bring light to each congregation so that people will see. I'm not going to be able to tell you exactly how to do that. I'll do that in person. You come to our festivals and events and join in our congregations. I'll take time to show you, share with you what I have seen and what I know. And maybe we can raise the dead and cure the the vampires, the werewolves, and the zombies and bring life back. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creatures, the institutions of man, more than the Creator. That's what you do with your rituals and your ceremonies and your your keeping of days and feasts. I think it's good to keep the feasts, but that is not... If you don't keep it with the Spirit of God, and I have not yet seen one group keep the feast as they were intended, because they're focused on the ritual. If they, when they're done with the feast, they have not further established a daily ministration that takes care of all the social welfare for the true needy of their society, they haven't kept the feast at all. They don't love one another. They didn't come together. They came for the party. They didn't come for to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, that's a hard message. But that it is for that cause God has given them up to unvile affections. So every congregation, every group, whether you're with us or not, You should be gathering together to help out other people. Not just give stuff away, but strengthen the poor to bring light. And in order to do that, you need to see yourself as you really are. You need to see all your foibles. You need to come to grips with that. And you need a loving group to help you do that. Every congregation is an AA group. It's not about alcohol, but it's about addiction to the lie. We are addicted to the lie, and we need to repent of the lie and turn around and go the other way. And until we do, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. Till next week.
You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.
boy, it just made my heart sing because I'm going, oh, no, I didn't realize he had to go to a stupid boarding school. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't home taught. <laughs> but it was it was kind of my choice. It was kind of my destiny because of the things that I was going to learn there. And, right. uh my parents were, you know, I really consider my parents very exceptional parents. I can remember uh, them standing up and saying things early age uh, that, you know, I just don't see other parents looking that deep into things. But uh, so I have no complaint about my parents. And the fact is, is I did meet some people in this private school uh, situation that taught me a great deal. And the fact is there's going to be hardships in every life. And you either learn from those hardships uh, or those difficulties or those challenges or you're broken by them. And it's it's just been a lot better to learn from them, (laughs) a lot more constructive anyway. And like you said, where we go sometimes is for a purpose, you know, and for you it was a purpose, so that was awesome. But now you homeschooled your children, correct? Oh yeah, I home all our kids were homeschooled. Uh our grandchildren uh are homeschooled. Um and so I mean we we're we're getting quite a few of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> and the, it's amazing how much brighter they are than other kids and it's not just cuz they're our kids. Uh but, but they know uh, how to to society, they're more balanced. They're more emotionally stable, and they feel secure, and they feel confident. And they also learn to talk around adults more so that they feel they can fit in where there's not this separation of taking them away from the adults, letting them grow up, and then trying to make them fit back into society. Um, Because a lot of teenagers are scared of adults, and adults are scared of teenagers. Yeah, my 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 kids and grandkids, uh, they need to be a little bit more afraid of adults. <laughs> what actually happens is that the adults are often more afraid of them <laughs> because they're so outspoken. I mean, some of them are extremely shy and, and polite and everything, but when you know, they're so versed, uh, one of the things my policy was, and I, I just naturally so, is that I'm not raising a child; I'm raising an adult. They're just in the form of a child right now, you know, and uh, was never condescending. I was always amazed at the the uniqueness of each child, the difference of each child. Uh, Some of them were more challenging than others in some aspects, but they're all very successful at what they're doing today. Um, But uh, not that they didn't make a few mistakes along the road. I always used to tell them there's two ways to learn everything. Easy or hard, and the hard way is by making the mistake yourself. So, uh, uh, and the, and they still make mistakes, but they, I I I look at back at homeschooling, and what I learned from the process Absolutely. makes it no other alternative to me. Absolutely, because you get you get to revisit everything. There was there was an interesting story is that. Uh, one, one uh, some study part of one of my kids, I think it was one of the older kids, uh, early days of uh, homeschooling, I was instructing them in something. I can't even remember the details, but I remembered uh, that I said something to them in a little moment of impatience, and uh, and I said, 
that sounds just like my fourth grade teacher. <laughs> my fourth grade school teacher, private school. I said, I didn't like my fourth grade, fourth grade <laughs> school teacher. <laughs> and I realized that because of my dislike for her, I was actually becoming like her when I had to deal with you know, children are a challenge sometimes. They they try your patience, which is why God sends them to us. Another motto that I have is that if a, if a man thinks he is wise, let him marry. <laughs> if he thinks he is patient, let him have children. <laughs> because the children are going to show you that you're not as patient as you thought you were. Excellent. <laughs> but that's... Part of the game. That's how you grow. If you don't, and the parents are missing out yeah. by not homeschooling their children. You know, yeah. th- and that's a people are always saying, think of what your children are missing uh, because you're not sending them to the public school. And I said, yeah, actually, that's why they're not going to the public school because I keep thinking of what they're missing. <laughs> but. But think of what your children are missing, and you know that's a we we met a lot of flack when we first started teaching our kids at home from locals. Uh, most of it was behind our back, but you know occasionally people would have the courage to speak up, not very forthrightly, but uh, they they did speak up. And uh, I pointed out that uh, uh, to them many years later when they came to us and they said, actually, some of the people that are our biggest uh, Uh, opponents in homeschooling came to us many years later and said, I should have home-taught my kids. Why? They went on to college and they became somebody else. They came home from college and the the parents were saying, where do my kids get these ideas? They go away conservative, they come back liberal. They go away straight, they come back gay. (laughs) They think, like, what happened? Or they go away and they don't reconnect with the parents and they go about their lives having their own lives, but they don't ever see their parents anymore or even reconnect with them anymore. Right, right. And because because they did not graft to their parents. Their parents took them and turned them over to school too soon. They need to graft to their parents. And the cows know this. The sheep know this. But we don't seem to 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 grasp it now. Some parents actually still play a significant role, especially out here in this country. It's farming community, so the kids a lot of times are isolated on the farms and and end up working with their parents, and so they get a little bit better feel. I've known a few farming families that didn't want their kids to go into farming and would not let them do any chores. And oh. oh. Now they're paying the price, and their grandchildren are paying the price because their grandchildren have no sense of family, none whatsoever. And they've missed that. They've lost that. And it doesn't come back just because you read it in a book. Yep. Well, we used to to go to seminars, and i talk in front of maybe 100, 150 people. My son, who was in his 20s at the time, and he started on his journey when he was 19, when we would go to seminars and he was about 28 years old, he would walk around the audience and talk to everybody, and they'd all be from the ages of 50 to 90 years old. 
and they were just just the most awesome people, and they had different careers, different journeys, different things that happened to them in life. But he was so young, but he loved being around him because he said, when I go there, I learn so much. And right. the, the thing is, what was funny, his friends would say to him, why do you like to go with your mother to those seminars? It's just a bunch of old people. And he goes, yeah, but those old people have all the knowledge and the wisdom. He goes, that's where I want to go. Yeah. You know? Well, I used to say that an old person has more wisdom in their gray hair than a young man has in his whole head. And, they're, and they're, it isn't always because the old people are so smart, but they have life experience. Right. Uh, they may have made every single mistake in the book. But they done it, and you can learn from them. Sometimes they're grouchy and ornery, but a lot of times you can sweep that away if you come with the right attitude. My oldest son, he used to go down to the local school when they had games and stuff and uh, kind of mix with the other kids and everything because he was kind of a people person. And and the kids his age would come up over to him and say, why are you hang-? – because he'd go down and he'd talk to the old man. He'd sit with the old men for a while. He would, if there was a ball at halftime, he would throw it around with the young kids. There was no click in age distinction. He could mix with the kids his age, too. And uh, he could, uh, all spectrums, with the ranchers, with the businessmen, he could sit down with any of them and talk. And, of course, now he runs huge crews and... and, uh, because he knows, you know, and he's he's been supervisor since he was a young man over people twice his age. Because age didn't mean anything. It, right. And getting the job done meant everything. And so he's worked his way up. He, he told me at a family gathering not too long ago, he says, there's only three people between me and the governor now. <laughs> so <laughs> so it, it's not that big a deal, but really, but... Uh, in the chain of command where he's he's working, uh, he's actually up there. And he actually stepped down from that position and went and worked in another place. Uh, and, but it, it's just setting him up for another better position. But you don't know. God has a plan. And each child, each adult needs to find their place in it. But everybody's trying to find their own personal place, their own selfish motive. Big mistake. You're not going to find God's plan for you unless you approach it from the point of view of being of service to other people. And, oh, you know, you can't escape that. Go ahead. No, I'm, I'm just... <laughs> I'm not... That's why I never found myself. <laughs> <laughs> no matter where you go, there you are. <laughs> you got to come to the burning bush uh thing in September, and that's what I'm waiting to hear about that. Well, it is coming up, uh, and they've got a date. And you can actually go to Burning Bush Festival. See, I can't remember dot com. Yeah, but uh, see, Burning I don't Bush think... Festival, all one word dot com, and it's set for. I have to check myself. Uh, August thirtieth to September second, and I don't know how big it is. We had a big uh, gathering out in Missouri. Um, and uh, in May, and there was about 75 people showed up there. They wanted me to come, but God said no. Uh, 
And so that was growing. That's a lot bigger than it used to be. And I don't know how big this is going to be. We're pretty remote. A lot of people don't come all the way out here. It could get real big. I mean, we have about a thousand acres to meet on, so we got the room. That's all solved. Um, but uh, what you really need is someone who's good at organizing events. And we thought about inviting lots of other people, you know, like the rendezvousers and and different people to come out and uh, use the the area there. But uh, uh, we'll, we're just growing slowly uh, and see how how it grows really the network is really where we think people ought to be gathering in local groups because i can't help everybody across the country but local groups can help each other you know and that's what the early church did it gathered together local groups but the local groups were connected so that when they had invading armies and when they had uh, uh economic breakdown and when they had uh famines and uh and these different things, and they had to evacuate whole cities. I mean, there were there were times in the uh, decline of the Roman Empire where you would have a whole city where 90% of the people would just be gone, either died or have to flee the city overnight. And where did they go? Well, the Christians had this huge, vast network that reached from Ireland and Norway to uh, Africa, and uh, if you had to flee because of this network, you had a place to go. And these festivals, which was like the Fall Festival, Feast of Tabernacles, and all these things were designed to keep those connections alive outside of your own community in charitable ways so that you had a connection. I, I've told the story that we had a nuclear power plant right near one of our congregations that was about to go Fukushima a few years ago during a flood. And they were building barricades all around it and everything, and they were worried that it would uh, have a serious breach and meltdown. And they were only 15 minutes away from this nuclear power plant and downwind. And they thought, like, if this goes bad, we have to move within minutes in the network all over the country upwind we had people volunteering and offering their house to any of those people in that congregation well that's that's what networking is really all about but they're not in that congregation because they have a particular religious denominational policy they have it because they have to actually work day to day to care about one another and so they start to develop those relationships and these these retreats that we put on the spring retreat and the fall festival, which is the burning bush festival. We didn't want to call it Feast of Tabernacle because everybody would say, oh, well, that's Old Testament stuff. <laughs> it's, it's the, but they don't even know. Most of the people celebrating Feast of the Tabernacle don't understand what that festival was really all about. It was about sharing and creating on a national level to create that network that they needed in case they were invaded or you know, there was famine or whatever. And we're not above that in this nation. I don't know if we're going to get invaded, but you could go from uh, feasting to famine in America rather quickly. Yeah, well, uh, we've already been invaded, so... <laughs> yeah, we've been invaded by ideas, uh, that's for sure. And uh, uh, we're not the America we were 100 years ago. No. Uh, 
we're not doing what we did 100 years ago. And we're losing the ability to do it because nobody's learning how to do what we did, what made America great. They don't know what it is that made America great. I don't know. Did you have another guest that was coming on, or were you guys just going to wing the show on your own? Um, we did not have a um, a featured guest this afternoon. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, you're absolutely welcome. To, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I enjoyed the part, too, about the frequency. Um, what did you call that, a frequency emanator? Well, the- well, we're all frequency generators. I mean, oh, generators—that's what I meant. Yeah, we we generate frequency all the time. Uh, well, I know we do, and, and and I'm into that. But but I I the word generator, I guess I when you said it, I cracked up laughing because I used to have friends that were quantum physicists and scientists, and they'd always say I was a frequency generator, and I haven't heard that conger you know that uh, comment in a long time because they've passed over, but. Um, the thing is, our hearts magnify 50 times stronger, and when we generate our hearts with uh, unconditional love or agape love, we can generate it way, way out, and people can heal when they walk into your auric field and feel that um, type of frequency of love. And so when you said that, I mean, anybody's able to do it, of course, you have to have the right mind and the right attitude and the right type of body. But, you know, it's amazing what you're able to do. And and uh, so I kind of cracked up when you said that because I hadn't heard that expression in a long time. So thank you. <laughs> well, the, yeah, the same token is, is that we can generate bad frequencies, too. <laughs> we can we can have an effect, our anger, our judgment, our our, our resentment. Uh, it kills people. It kills ourselves, but it also kills people around you. It injures them. I mean, you don't have to hit somebody to intimidate them and oppress them. And children sense that immensely. And and so, you know, we have to guard against that. And so our whole life should be cultivating a practice of caring about one another as much as we care about ourselves, of generating uh, life, giving life. Because if you give life and those around you in free assemblies that are working with you are generating life, giving life, not just giving, but giving life. You know, In other words, sometimes giving life is to tell people, you know, you're lazy. <laughs> I'm not going to give you a free meal today. You're going to have to do the dishes. You're going to have to chop wood. You're going to have to do this because you're you've really got a problem with laziness. That may be the most charitable thing you do to some people. You know, so charity is a is a strange thing. It's not always giving people what they want. Sometimes it's giving people. It really always is giving people what they need, and sometimes they need to hear the hard truth. And so. But if you start gathering together with people like that, you're going to see miraculous healings. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just going to happen. You're not you're not generating it out of your own will, and this is a big danger. Uh, some people they label New Age and everything. I don't I don't believe in these labels, but they're floating around. Um, most labels are lies anyway. Uh, but uh, 
the reality is is that you the the people that are giving this um character of Christ free reign in their lives uh began to alter society they begin to change people's lives around them and as those people change birds of a feather flock together they'll start gathering but you need to cultivate that just like a garden just like uh, the natural forest i was a forest ranger for uh a while one of my careers and uh the forest is doing all kinds of fabulous things uh generating all kinds of things in on its own by its very nature we're supposed to have dominion over that we're supposed to be guiding that and what's happening is we're actually destroying our forests and we're destroying our farmlands <laughs> and we're doing it because we're connecting our minds to another uh element of creation that does not give life takes life away that's what we're doing with all the GMOs GMOs is a byproduct of that spirit of of Cain. Yeah, or chemtrails or fluoride in the water. Yeah, people, they're so fascinated with their own power to control things like the weather, they're actually poisoning the very earth the weather was sent to make flour. And and they, they can't see it. They're just drunk with their own power. But the only way to change that you can't change the world without you becoming a dictator but if you change you have the right to change that change in you will magnify itself spread out like this is why i say resist not evil and this is what our theme's been for the last few shows you don't curse the darkness you don't you know we can see evil things going on in the world we can see bad things don't curse that I love Don't, it. Uh, yeah, you have to forgive it. That doesn't mean absolve it. That means don't you be judged. Let God be judged. But you shine a light on it and around it. And what you're going to help other people wake up. And the more people that wake up and open their eyes and begin to see this, that's where change will begin to take place. Not because you're controlling or forcing it, but because you're lighting that candle and driving the cockroaches and the spirit of the cockroach away that hide from the light. And so, you know, I mean, that's easy. That's kind of my philosophy. But it looks like you may be coming up on another break here. And I am going to have to go. I'm not going to be able to stay for the whole hour. <laughs> busy, busy, busy. <laughs> Thank you very much for the extra time today, Brother Gregory. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I was surprised that for some reason I just stayed on. Maybe I was trying to find out if you guys talk about me when I'm gone. (laughs) (laughs) We do. We talk about you all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you guys have a good day. Love you. Bye-bye. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Because you talk about... Yeah, we do all the time. We just love you. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Oh, that was funny. Well, you know, I I, I came back from uh, from playing his little thing, and um, 
And I had my phone muted because the dog was barking. So thank you for putting your hand up. That was my signal that, oh, yeah, something's wrong here. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, you want me to stand down? I'll no, take it you, down. You're good. No, you're No, 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 no. We're going to go take it into our next segment. And 